Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I'm Nate Langson, and this text message was sent on Sunday, the 22nd of February. Joining me this week to discuss the week's top UK technology news is technology journalist Ian Morris. But first, a special feature this week on Text Message. I'm welcoming to the show a technology writer called Nicholas Tufnell. Now, Nicholas has been wandering around the streets of London, going into public toilets and collecting their toilet rolls. Now, you might think, quite understandably, why are we talking about toilet rolls on text message? Well, the reason is, apart from the fact that Nicholas is a technology writer because he has been working with a computer scientist, some open source software and a love of poetry to somehow turn the numbers and letters printed uniquely on the inside of British toilet roll tubes into poetry. So I dragged Nicholas into a room and started to ask him to explain Um, what the hell is he doing? It's fascinating. Um, Basically, I noticed a long time ago, uh, uh, years and years ago, that there were little numbers inside toilet rolls. And I thought that's very odd. And I couldn't really figure out what that was about. I couldn't figure out if it was, you know, um, a date or whatever. And I sort of put it out of my mind and thought, whatever. And then I've always wanted to do something with those numbers because I thought it's a shame that they existed and didn't have a purpose. I wanted to give them some kind of purpose. and then the years went on, <clears throat> and I was having, excuse me, I was having a, a hard time at a place that I was working, and I, I found myself, I was constantly retreating to the toilet uh, because it was the one place where really you don't have any responsibility. You know, you can go to the toilet, and for five, ten minutes, you're guaranteed you don't need to, no one can touch you. That you can just be there and you have your own little oasis, and that's just where you go, and, and you can have a, some time out. And so I was doing this a lot, um, and then one day I looked at the toilet roll that was in this toilet, and I saw the numbers again, and it made me laugh because it reminded me of these of these of these digits that didn't really have a purpose, and I wanted to do so much with them, and I sort of forgot about. And I thought, no, I'm going to do something with this. I'm going to every time I come and retreat into this toilet, it won't be a surrender. I will I will think of something to do with these numbers. So. I thought, well, okay, what if I change these numbers to their corresponding letters in the alphabet? You know, is that, is that going to spell anything out? Is this some secret message? So that is the equivalent of A is one, B is two. Exactly, exactly. So they're about each toilet roll, every toilet roll, domestic toilet roll, usually, this isn't in the sort of the industrial side stuff, you'll find 10 to 11 numbers. It changes. Sometimes there are letters within the numbers as well, and that gets very annoying for me for various reasons, but I'll get onto that later. Um, and you take, I, so I took these numbers and changed them all to the letters, ready for a big word some big reveal nothing it was just it was it was absolute gibberish it was couldn't even make a word out of it so i thought well that's a a waste of time but i thought no i'm not going to give up i'm going to do more with this and so i then thought i'll change i'll put these numbers through sort of a uh, i'll see if i can make an anagram out of these numbers that are now letters um see if we can get any words out of that and the first words that i got the first time i did this was uh fogged beef 
and fogged beef that blew my mind now i was hooked now i knew what i wanted to do with these toilet papers and these toilet rolls and these toilets you know i needed to get more fogged beef mate i guess the idea here or not the idea but it was probably the first time that those two words had ever been they had been i've always wanted to use the word adjunct i think fog <laughs> had never been adjunct with or to beef it never been together yeah, exactly so that really titillated me. And, and actually, in fact, I think it was something that Will Self said once. He, he was talking about that the, what makes a writer interesting is sort of the way that you use words. And so there's nothing particularly interesting about a mountain. There's nothing particularly interesting about gold. But a gold mountain, well, that's interesting. Now you've got a story. And so I had a story. I had something to work with. Uh, so I decided to collect more of these numbers and, and turn them into words. And, and it was really great, but there was just no way that I could do that on my own. I needed to automate this. So this is where we come to the reason that I am talking to you on what is ostensibly a, a technology podcast, other than the fact that you are a technology writer as, as well. And you turned to a computer scientist with your toilet roll poetry idea in one hand and a giant figurative question mark in the other, right? Exactly, exactly. I knew just the guy to ring. Uh, an old friend of mine from university that studied computer science, I called him up, I said, look, um, I can't, there's no time to explain. <laughs> I've got these numbers that I've, I've uh, extracted from toilet rolls. I need a program where I can just throw in as many of these numbers as possible and they spit out the corresponding letters in the alphabet. And I need a program that I can then take those letters and it's going to turn them into anagrams. It'll spit out some anagrams. So it'll take all those letters and make sense out of them. And he sort of thought, that's a bit odd, but okay, if you want that, I can pretty much do that in an afternoon. He comes back, he's written something up, and it's in like a, it's got, it's, it looks very nice, actually. It's, he's, I think he's done it in Visual Basic, so there's, a, there's an actual, you know, a graphic user interface that I can work with. And that's great, so I'm using that for a bit, but then that sort of breaks down, I'm thinking, oh, I don't really want to yeah, bother this guy too much, so I thought, come on, technology journalist and all this, I can figure this out. So I have a look online and there's a place called GitHub where there's lots of open source code, and then I use basically JavaScript that in a, in, a, in, a, in a web page. So I've got a web page on my computer. I open it up and it's got just a box where I can put in the, the numbers and it'll spit out uh, all the letters. And then there are actually anagram uh, solvers online that anyone can use. So I've used that as well. And I, took, I just took the JavaScript out from that, put it into my own web page. So I've got them on the same thing. Um, so, you, you know, inspired by toilet rolls and, and a love of poetry and, you know, let down by computer science, one can always turn to GitHub and open sourced web-based technologies. This is advice everyone should heed, I think. <laughs> Absolutely. There's always someone out there that's been working on this and you can collaborate with, and that's the wonderful thing about the internet, about technology. So um, I took this, this uh, lovely chap's code and I used it for my own purposes, and I've been continuing to use it. And, um, and I've, I've, the idea is to now go to every borough in London, there are 32 boroughs in London, and create 32 poems that correspond to each borough. Now, I've done Islington. Islington's done. That's in the bag. That's good. Um, For our international listeners, by the way, Islington is in North London. You may hear it referred to in part as Camden or the Angel Islington on uh, British Monopoly boards. That's the area that we're looking at. It's sort of the top of the screen in the EastEnders introduction. Exactly. That's exactly where it is. And I had a good old time running around Islington, uh, you know, Camden, Angel, all those places, uh, going to toilets, uh, public toilets, uh, asking people if I could use their toilet. Uh, most of them said no. Um, you don't go into a bar and say, may I use your toilet to someone you 
don't know because the majority of the time they think you're a weirdo. Well, to be honest, I mean, it's a little bit weird running around London just going into toilets. I mean, even the excuse, I promise I'm not ill. I'm just doing poetry in there. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, that, that's going to raise at least one, if not um, both, brows of eye. It was, it was very peculiar, particularly when I was taking my camera into the toilet because I wanted to take a picture of each toilet on its own, which I felt was very... I think it looks... There's something about a toilet on its own when you take a picture, it's not being used, that is very, so, it has a solemnity to it. And I like that. I want that next to the poems. I want people to see the toilets that I am approaching. Um, You've described this to me actually before, is that you said they almost look forlorn and sad, that they've been unfulfilled. Absolutely, because the toilet is a completely, it's a totally functional device. Absolutely. There's, it is designed to be used and nothing else. I mean, there are some people that would argue against that, and actually I've, I've been researching toilets an awful lot, and some people say there actually there's ideologies behind toilets, you know, so uh, but we won't go into that, but I suggest that you look up uh, Slovenian philosopher Slavoj Žižek, who's spoken about toilets uh, and Marxism and, uh, uh, and the Renaissance and all sorts of very interesting interesting things that you can you can take from toilets that are completely separate from the functional device and that's precisely what i've done with this uh this poetry scheme you know i was going to toilets because i was feeling low you know i i was going there because i wanted to escape a job that i didn't think i was doing very well um and uh out of that toilet out of that 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 horrible hole you know quite literally a shithole if you don't if you can if, if you don't mind me being so so bold um there was there was a there was a glimmer of hope there was something in there that was still nice you know that whole uh, to get the the perfume of the rose you need to put a load of manure on it you know and and that's the thing i, I it reminded me that there's always there's always hope there's always something that can cheer you up and that can make you feel better but sometimes you just have to look a hell of a lot harder than other times and that really helped me uh, uh, uh feel a lot better about myself and so that's also what the poem's about. But when you hear the poems, and I'm going to recite one uh, shortly, they're not, I, it's not poetry. I mean, it, it's, it's wordplay. And they're meant to be fun. They're meant to be funny. It's not meant to be something that has, you know, is going to be life-changing or anything like that. It's meant to be a good bit of fun that can remind you that uh, even in the most disgusting places in the world, you can still find something uh, beautiful, or if you don't want to call it that, um, hopeful or amusing. Well, as uh, Nicholas prepares to uh, read this uh, straight out of his cistern, um, so to speak, you've got to get it out of your cistern, I think. Absolutely. Um, Nicholas loads it up. Um, this is something that uh, I, Nicholas has a, a bunch of plans for, I think. Um, is there an intention to to make these poems, once you've got all 30 boroughs together, uh, to what are you going to do with this? Apart from feel good about yourself, and I and I know for a fact that people listening to this will be intrigued by the idea because there's at least two people I told that about this interview that I was going to do who said they were very, very keen to hear it as soon as possible. So what are you going to do with these? How can you get these out to the world? Well, I really hope to... I'm looking for a publisher. Um, uh, now, I don't know if this is... I could see this sell, selling well sort of Christmas time, you know. Uh, it's a fun little gift that you give someone. Uh, if I can't find a publisher, I'll publish it myself online. You know, there's, there's so many platforms these days, uh, the good platforms that you can use. So one way or another, you're going to, you're going to be reading these and you're going to be enjoying them. And, uh, well, for the next moment, uh, as the last part of the interview, firstly, Nicholas, thank you ever so much for joining us. No, no, thank you very much for having me. And now we will hear a poem written from the code inside London toilet rolls reassembled by open source code and read by Nicholas Tufnell, the author.
Thank you very much. And just before I go into the poem, I want to tell you this is based, the meter of this is based on a poem by Hilaire Belloc uh, called um, uh, Tarantella. And Tarantella is, he tries to mimic the uh, the dance Tarantella, which is apparently, the myth is, uh, a dance that you do when you've been bitten by a, a, a venomous spider and it makes you go a bit mad. This is called Do You Recall? Do you recall the fogged beef, mate? Do you recall the fogged beef? Do you recall the rise and the fall of the bellows in the meadows and the fellows who would meddle in the middle of the shadow of the valley of the death? And the leaves and the knees that we fell on in the breeze when we ran and we ran till we ran out of breath? Do you recall the fogged beef, mate? Do you recall the fogged beef? And the leaves and the knees that we fell on in the breeze that couldn't make us chilly but could jockey all the lilies in the lake that were running from the letter and the egg? And the drip, drip, drop of the minx of the crop that could cry and could lie of the bread all soggy, all sloppy, all floppy, all hotty from the copy don't touch. As the tickles from the stickleback ends, friends beget friends, and the strange sound from afar. Do you recall the fogged beef, mate? Do you recall the fogged beef? That's it, mate. That's it. Just me on the end of the line and the stuff in the fridge that sits in the brine, no thread. To the thoughts, to the hemming of my shorts I wear when I'm hot and lost in my head. No thread. Nicholas Tufnell there. Fantastic stuff. Deeply excited to see what he flushes into the world as he continues this project. You can follow him and his work on Twitter at Nicholas Tufnell. That's T U F. For Freddie, N-E-L-L, at Nicholas Tufnell. And on that note, it is time to welcome Ian Morris into the text message world to talk about this week's UK tech news. Ian, welcome to the show. How are you doing, my friend? I'm very good, thank you, Nate. How are you? Good. I am blissful on this Sunday evening. It really is a delight to be uh, jawing with you again. Absolutely. Two weeks on the the counter. Um, (laughs) Let's start, shall we, with the news that Zane Lowe, the BBC Radio 1 DJ, is to leave the network after over a decade for a job at Apple, specifically in its iTunes radio service. Now, this is coming from, uh, well, from many places, but specifically the, uh, the BBC is where we're referring to uh, for this piece. Um, apparently, Lowe is 41 years old, New Zealand guy, and had a knack for promoting emerging talent on the airwaves and uh, sort of promoted Arctic Monkeys for some reason. The BBC felt the need to point that particular band out and will present his final show on March the 5th then he's going to move to America to take up the job at Apple. Now this move coincides with rumours that Apple is going to be creating a new music streaming service that will compete directly with Spotify although an industry insider according to the BBC has said this is not the case and actually this is going to be factored into Beats Music which is the uh, Spotify competitor set up by Dr Dre which Apple bought last year for $3 billion. Now this This on its own is an interesting story, but before Ian and I start talking about this, I also wanted to point out that this news follows just a couple of weeks, I think, after it was uh, revealed that Macworld's longtime editor, Chris Breen, was leaving Macworld, the uh, Mac publication in the US and there's a UK edition as well to join Apple. Little is known about what he's doing there. And then late last year, Anand Shipley, not Shipley, that's a company, Shimpy, Shimpley, I can't remember his name. Um, 
It is Shimpy, yes. Anand Shimpy, um, founder of Anand, Anand Tech, the sort of high-end um, technology website, has retired from journalism, according to The Verge, to join Apple as well. So we've... We, Ian, we're getting a lot of people in editorial or journalistic positions all leaving to join Apple in various different forms. Is Am I the only one finding that my curiosity staff is erect and interested? <laughs> Why, my, what a way with words you have, Nate. Um, no, you, you're, probably, you're probably not the only one that uh, feels the... Uh, tumescence of your uh, staff um it it's obviously something's going on isn't there um and um, yeah. i don't know i don't know what it is uh i i suspect that what sorts of I, I wonder things, if I apple's think. trying to yeah it must be i mean because those those positions in themselves aren't aren't directly related are they um i mean there's there's no connection between uh say zane Lowe and chris breen i mean that that doesn't make any sense but it it does make you wonder that a lot of people have gone over and i have a feeling that some of those hires the ones that happened a long time ago were probably about direction for apple like you know guys what do you think we should do um you know we, we we've got to this point now i mean a apple must acknowledge the fact that um it needs to evolve the iphone particularly and continuously do that in order to um you know, keep it a success, uh, and they might. Well, well, need... well. Hang. Why don't they just hire a creative director like every other technology company on the planet at the moment? I mean, Intel used to have Will I Am. He's actually <sighs> now creative director for a three D printing company. Intel didn't yeah. announce that, at least not to my knowledge. But he has left Intel as creative director. Or of course, we've got Alicia Keys on the BlackBerry side. You know, who was purely, in left. my opinion, hired solely for her surname and the fact that BlackBerry has a keyboard still. Mm -hmm. I mean, I actually think that we may be slightly at the evil hand of curiosity here, uh, or <laughs> coincidence rather, um, which is that Zane Lowe probably leaving for some sort of an editorial curation-based role. Um, Chris Breen, Macworld, I have read one uh, report that it may be to do with setting up things for iTunes U or iTunes, uh, the Apple... Um, university that runs courses inside apple to educate people about apple and its culture and how it does business and anand shimpy may very well have gone to help them refine and process its actual technology hardware because he has a a, a strong and, and very well respected background in analyzing tech mm. um and yes. in particular things like chips and processes and, and things like that so these could all be unconnected one of the ways we can get around confusion is by using simple interfaces for things in life. And that's what NatWest and RBS at Royal Bank of Scotland are doing, which is that they are launching a new version of their mobile banking app. And they will allow a fingerprint to unlock their bank account instead of passwords and um, ID codes and things like that. Now, this is actually, uh, annoyingly, actually, I realize uh, also only for the Apple iPhone. This wasn't meant to be another Apple story. So we'll just forget that it's an iPhone. <laughs> it's using fingerprints to unlock mobile banking accounts on phones. Um, and I think this is a very interesting move. We're seeing this is, a, this is not a, a, something that a bank can jump into without going through you would like to think at least serious testing and and to, to ensure that security was uh, as strong as it needs to be this to me seems like a vote of confidence for fingerprint consumer fingerprint security being being a thing yeah um i i'm very pleased about this because i find passwords to be extremely tedious um, and I, I use uh, I have to use a password manager because I I need 
lots of passwords and I need to be able to sort of generate secure ones as and when. And I, I, I just can't think of secure passwords or memorize them. So I, I have to rely on a password manager for that. Um, so it would be quite good for me um, if I could use my fingerprint to unlock things. Um, questions have been raised about the security of it. I know that, in fact, it's quite easy to physically replicate a fingerprint and use it to unlock a device. But you have to have the device for that to work. And I, I don't worry about that quite as much as I would do, say, a poor password. I think, I think I'd rather have the worry of the fingerprint scanner over the worry of a, a password. Um, so I, I'm actually I'm very excited. Of course, it is, although you didn't want it to be about the iPhone, it does sort of have to be about the iPhone because it's only really the iPhone fingerprint scanner that's up to this job, I think. Um, I, I use... Um, my day-to-day -day phone is the Note 4, and I, I use the fingerprint unlock, and it is frustrating sometimes. It's not as bad. Mm. It's not awful, but it is a frustrating experience to use. And that's not to say that it wouldn't work with the app, because it absolutely would. Uh, but I think Apple's just nailed that, that sort of interface so nicely, and just touching the home button is a really nice way to get into the device, and it's an even nicer way to unlock you know, banking and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I, I have I'm... I have heard rumors that the new Samsung Galaxy is going to use the same fingerprint technology that Apple uses in its iPhone, which would mm. mean no more having to put your finger down at a very specific angle to unlock the phone. Because I used the Galaxy S5 for several months, and I, although the fingerprint did work well enough most of the time for me to keep using it, it very, very frequently didn't. Whereas the iPhone on the iPhone 6 that I use, um, it works damn near every single time. But I really yeah. think that the big, the, the, the big challenge that the banks have got here is that we we know for a fact, and in fact, we've talked about this on the podcast in the past, that people use terrible, terrible passwords mm. for things that need to be kept really, really secure. One, two, three, four, five, six is every year seems to be the most popular password and is the easiest way to get your money stolen and sent to ISIS. Now, <laughs> if you don't want that to happen, which you should does, then you need to use better security. And I think maybe this is a way of saying, look, you can't be any less secure than one, two, three, four, five, six. So even if your fingerprint might technically be a little less secure than we'd like it to be, it's going to be a hell of a lot more secure than one, two, three, four, five, six, or password, or mm. the name of your son or daughter or, or spouse. So I think in a way, this is not necessarily a case of trying to come up with a, a completely flawless security method, but it's a, it's a step up above one of the most pressing problems in security, which is terrible passwords and passwords themselves even. Let's move on to the last story in the news today. Now, this might not, strictly speaking, strike listeners as a technology story, but bear with us, we have a reason. The Daily Telegraph's chief political commentator has resigned a few days ago uh, after launching a blistering attack on The Telegraph's management and owners over its lack of coverage of the HSBC tax story, which the, the commentator Peter Oborn described as a fraud on its readers. Now, Oborn was associate editor, or it still is associate editor of The Spectator, and uh, does stuff on Channel 4 and various other documentaries and books. And he claimed that The Telegraph had deliberately suppressed stories about HSBC, including revelations that its Swiss subsidiary helped wealthy customers dodge taxes and conceal millions of dollars in assets. And this was purely to keep its valuable advertising account stable with 
the bank in question. Now, the Telegraph has responded and said, like any other business, we never comment on individual commercial relationships, but our policy is absolutely clear. We aim to provide all our commercial partners with a range of advertising solutions, but the distinction between advertising and our award-winning editorial operation has always been fundamental to our business. We utterly refute any allegation to the contrary. It is a matter of huge regret that Peter Oborn, for nearly five years a contributor to The Telegraph, should have launched such an astonishing and unfounded attack full of inaccuracy and innuendo on his own paper. Now, that's the, the response from a spokesperson. Now, the reason that this is in today's show is because both Ian and I have been writing about technology for many years and have worked for numerous companies, all of which have um, various different ways of doing advertising, whether that's through ad networks or in-house advertising or, um, you know, modern takes on advertising like adverts that appear in the stream of news or sponsored stories and things like this. So I thought it'd be interesting for us to talk a little bit about um, how the internet and blogging and modern publishing methods have, have sort of forced, to some extent, commercial and editorial to, to come together. And uh, obviously, in the case of The Telegraph, how it can go a little bit wrong. Ian, what is your yeah. what was your first take on reading this this news? Well, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Um, because mm. I, I'm sure there is I'm sure there's a lot of truth in what Peter Osborne said. And I, I know there were leaked memos uh, from Sony as well, thanking them for their help. Uh, promoting a movie um and it's i mean i i have i do have a lot of sympathy for publishers it is becoming increasingly difficult to make money and i know um i know that i mean i've actually do, i've actually done some work for telegraph create in the past uh which is like the commercial bit you know that it's, it's just paid content essentially um but i think people going to it are aware of that and it is it is obviously branded um and the content is still good you know, it's, it's, it's as well researched as anything else I would write. Um, it's just it's paid for by somebody else. And I think that's increasingly become the way that you get extra money in um, because pay-per-click advertising just doesn't bring in the kind of cash that most companies need to stay profitable. Uh, you have mm. to be a very, very big site for that to work. Um, so obviously the, it, it is difficult. But having said that, if you're going to be, I mean, this is particularly important if you're a, a news organisation, one that, you know, covers news in general, I think. I mean, tech and other parts of journalism, you could argue that they're hardly, you know, people's lives don't depend on them. But the stuff that journalism, and you know, the stuff that The Telegraph that did was extremely important, like the breaking of the expenses scandal. Um, mm. And you don't want to undermine that work that you do by seeming to be not independent and, you know, being able to offer bought editorial. I mean, and this, that's why the HSBC stuff is so worrying, because not only does that involve the Telegraph, but that's also a scandal that's involved the British government. Um, and so obviously people are very concerned that they have been en masse lied to about this kind of stuff. And, you know, the whole thing just does feel like an old boys club cover up, doesn't it? It's like there are certain people who are, you know, moving these circles, the, you know, the, the people in, high up in the government, David Cameron, etc. And people who edit newspapers and, and own newspapers all sort of exist in a world that is a kind of a close knit community that get, comes in for a lot of stick. Um, and I, 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 that is a concern. And obviously they had a very close relationship with HSBC that I'm sure is worth some money. 
Uh, so you it's have worth to... quite a lot of money. I mean, there was one quote that um, Oborn had had. Uh, I'm not sure if it was Oborn had had said this, um, but something. But but something like an in an in-house executive at the Telegraph had said that um, that you know a deal with HSBC is literally a client you can't afford to lose, or, or words to that effect. And and, and you know I, I've seen that. I mean, I've I've been involved as a journalist in in situations where I know that we have had massive deals um, on the table with large companies and we have known that but still run scathing stories about that company because we needed to write it and no no matter how cross or angry a commercial person is on the other side of the building those are lines that are not crossed i mean at cnet cbs when we were in and i were working there together in uh, quite a few years ago, the commercial team was on a completely different floor to editorial, for one thing. Um, you know, when I was at Condé Nast, the advertising team was in a different part of the office to the editorial teams, and there was a very clear divide between those. But the reason that I think that this has a, a tech angle as well is because there are a lot of younger journalists who are growing up and 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 perhaps they're they're starting to learn their skills in an era where there is things like native advertising and it's very easy to set yourself up as a publication and not necessarily have the same um uh, sort of journal uh, editorial and commercial division ethics to begin with certainly you can you certainly can learn them um sort of baked in by default and and once those those people are older and and in positions in uh, in newspapers or other big media companies do they potentially become easier to manipulate or does a new generation come into being that can allow this sort of behavior to propagate throughout an industry if the industry itself survives and i i wonder i do have to wonder yeah, I mean, I, I think that any time anyone says they're a client too big to lose, uh, I would be extremely worried about that because I, I, I don't think that any anyone in journalism should ever be, like you said, I, I don't think you should ever be held to worrying about that sort of thing. And th- th- there's some truth in the fact that you can keep it from journalists, but journalists are not generally stupid. Like we knew um, from time to time that there were, you know, clients who, if we wrote something that, you know, and then we knew they advertised with us, we knew that there was a possibility that might cause problems. Um, and hopefully if you've got a good editor, then you don't worry too much about that and you, or you talk the issues through. But um, yeah, anytime anyone says that client's too big to lose, I would be extremely worried. Do you think that it will hurt the Telegraph long term, what's happened, or do you think that yeah. they'll be okay? I think that alone was probably pretty bad, but to be honest, what they've done since then, they they published a scathing anonymous mm. article pointing at the BB, at, uh, sorry, the Guardian no, they did mention um, the BBC particular. as well. They, they have a long-standing desire to destroy the BBC, which I find very uh, unpleasant, really. But but there's there's one piece, or possibly two now pieces in particular that are, that have come out where they've they've talked about suicides at another media organisation um, in their commercial department because of pressure to deliver ad revenue, and it was written in an incredibly awful way that yeah, just that's... sounded like schoolyard jealousy taken into the corporate world and turned up to the extreme and then with the the cowardice to put it under an anonymous byline as well Mm. it's just 
that they've just made it worse for themselves. And and I and I hate it because I, I I personally know some very very good journalists who either are or have been at the Telegraph, and I genuinely feel sorry for them because they are potentially having their names dirtied for for a while because of mm. a spy so association with with this and and that won't be the case shouldn't be the yeah. case no no i mean that's um, that that's a great shame because like you say probably 99% of the journalists there are amazing um mm. and i don't agree with a lot of the you know the telegraph's editorial policy but that's a that's a, a matter for another day isn't it you know that's papers and yeah. the way they're running this country but yeah yeah Okay, well, that's going to do it for the news. Um, we have got a brand new email address where you can get in touch with Ian and I um, with any comments or feedback you have about the stories that we've talked about today or any day or the show in general or suggestions for future episodes and stories, which is, it's super simple, podcast at natelangson.com. It couldn't be any easier than that, although I did actually consider just having pod at natelangson.com. I suppose technically that would be easier, but... Um, you know that's by the by it's podcast at natelangston.com please let us know what you think leave us a review on itunes that's probably the most useful thing anybody can do to help the show right now the every review and rating we get helps us rise slightly higher in the itunes charts and that helps us get discovered so please please do that in it's been a pleasure to have you with us this week absolutely i, I love it every week or every week it happens and we will see you for another text message in a week Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.